brothers here. He is going to be bringing uh, the word today. Just a, a dear friend. Uh, him, him and Betty came. Um, like, how long ago? I think January. First. In January, and they have um, since then they have put their house up for sale. It is uh, it has a buyer. We're hoping that closes real soon. They found a house in the community. They should be moving in hopefully real soon when they get the closing done there. And uh, these guys are serious and want to um, just lock arms um, with us as brothers and sisters. So I'm really excited to um, to be under your under your teaching right now, man, and just um, be able to care for you and see us serving one another. So let's be encouraged. Uh, get your word out. Uh, just a couple. Uh, Things real quick. If you need Bibles, please raise your hand. We can have Bibles for you. If you need a pen or a paper, let us know. You can turn your programs on the back, and that's where you can write down your notes. Um, also, questions are not a faux pas here, so you need to be ready for that. If you have a question, uh, we're asking you to please uh, ask the question. Our heart here is not just to get smarter, family. We really want this stuff to be lead, leading toward worship in Christ. So it's not a faux pas. Keep it real. Let's enjoy the Lord. Thanks, bro. Morning. A uh, month or so ago, Betty and I uh, had an opportunity to meet with Leon uh, for breakfast, and we were talking a little bit about Mac Ave, and, uh, and Leon brought up a word that I, I just have clung to for the last couple of weeks that I thought was real cool, uh, and it was uh, the word architecture. And he was describing... Eh, come on. Architecture is designed to be specific and intentional. And even as Eric's already been uh, talking, you can see that there's an intentionality at the church. And one of the things that, uh, you know, Leon was asking, you know, can Betty and you buy into the architecture who Mac Ave is? And uh, as Betty and I have been mulling it over, obviously we've sold our house, we're moving down here, we're, uh, we're pleased to be part of the architecture of Mac Ave. One of the things is that they're very intentional about the scriptures being handled accurately for a couple of reasons, on a personal level, so that we grow straight, so that as we share, as we disciple others, they grow straight, and also corporately, so that from the pulpit out, it's handled accurate and it's handled in context. And if you haven't heard it yet, you're going to hear it a bunch of times. They use the word exegesis, and they use the word original author's intent. Uh, original author's intent goes back to, scriptures were written way over here, you and I are standing over here, there's a huge gap culturally, historically, time frame, languages, syntax. There's a lot of differences there. So it's critical that we, as we're reading um, books of the Bible, chapters in the books, verses in the books, that we're looking at them under the entire narrative of Scripture. The entire narrative of Scripture is what? God. God is, He's the Creator, He's the Creator of the Covenant. He's sovereign, and out of his mercy, he has given opportunity and created opportunity for you and I, mankind, fallible as we are, to have fellowship with him. And that's straight from his heart. So that's the overall narrative of the Scripture. As we read Genesis, we remember that. As we read Romans, we remember that. As we read a verse in Romans, we remember that. And it's important that we do so. Um, Real quickly, real easy one, Ten Commandments. You read the Ten Commandments, pretty straightforward, hard to argue with it, hard to take it out of context, really. Okay, they're pretty easy to understand. One that's not so easy is at the end of the service here, about another hour and a half after I'm done, we're going to be taking tithe. 
Now, for us in here, because we're passing a basket, it's got money in it, you and I are thinking money, okay? There's other things that we tithe, uh, we tithe our time, but basically we're going to be talking about money. So if I quoted you uh, Malachi 3.10, it says, the Lord says, test me now, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and test me now. If I don't pour out for you a blessing, so much so, you won't even be able to contain it. Now, you guys are thinking money raining from heaven. That's not the context of the Scripture. That's misappropriating it because I pulled it out and you and I are thinking about money, okay? So that's what we're talking about here. Author's original intent, you've got to look at it under the entire umbrella. Uh, a couple of things. Eric touched on it real quickly, but I want to tell you something. I've preached this message seven times to the walls in my house, okay? <laughs> to me, it's very clear. I've read commentaries. I've prayed. I've asked the Holy Spirit. I've gone over and over and over. But just because I get it doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to adequately give it to you guys. So ask questions if they're appropriate. If we can answer them, we will. If not, there's time afterwards. Please feel free to do so. (sighs) Lastly, take a big breath. If you guys know me for more than a week, you know me, that I cry all the time. I cry at the drop of a hat when I'm talking to my wife, when I'm listening to jazz, when I'm reading the scriptures, anything. I'm in tears. I was hoping this wasn't going to happen till the end, but I wanted to warn you, it's embarrassing. It really is embarrassing to me. And I just ask you guys forbearance in that. Okay, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 26, you know what? Let, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ah, Father, you are the story of the Scriptures, not us. Your mercy, your covenant, your compassion, your sovereignty over man is the story of Scripture. And Lord, we fall on our face before you. We fall on our face as we know how wretched we are and how glorious you are. And that you've given us your son Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice as the atonement for our sins. That we can rest in that assurance, Father God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father, may you be glorified in this message. Uh, May I shrink back and and may you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, context. I want to just real quickly go to 25. And you know what? I meant to set my chronograph so that... uh... Okay, uh, we're going to go back real, qu- real quickly to 25. 25, basically, uh, Abraham dies. little story about Ishmael. Ishmael goes on his way. Isaac goes on his way. Isaac has a little bit of deja vu with uh, his wife Rebecca. His mom was barren. So what does Isaac do? Great godly man goes to the father, appeals to the father. Father opens up her womb. She becomes pregnant. All of a sudden, they're stern inside of her. She says, Hey, Lord, what, what's going on? Lord says, man, there's nations rumbling around inside of you. And he said, and here's, man, this is, this is wild. He says, the elder will serve the younger. And I'm going to tell you what, that blew Rebecca's mind. As Leon brought out last week, to you and I, that probably doesn't mean a whole lot. But the reality is, firstborns, man, they, they were the king, and, and he wasn't. Okay? Jacob was not. So we're seeing God's providence hand here. And then the end of 25 is probably one of the saddest things I've ever read. Esau's out hunting. He comes home, and like most men, oh my gosh, I'm dying, I'm starving. Give me some food. Jacob, you know, probably pre-planned this whole thing, looking for the birthright, looking for an opportunity to take it, says, hey, I'll give you some porridge for some birthright. 
And the last line of 25, Esau despised his birthright. Hold on to that because we're going to see a huge parallel at the very end of 26. So I came up with a couple of words about what I think chapter 6 is about. Reiteration, remembrance, rest. Reiteration is God retelling to Isaac, specifically the heir, the story that he told Abraham. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to bless you. Other nations are going to be blessed by you. I'm going to protect you. Lots of descendants. So God's retelling the story to Isaac. Remembrance. The whole thing of 26, Isaac's walking through his father's footsteps. I mean, not only literally and physically, emotionally, spiritually, and he's going to have an epiphany that we're going to see. And rest. Man, it was so cool about, uh, well, the the songs to me just fit right into this whole gig. But we're going to see where Isaac, I believe, very clear, we're going to see he goes from, you know, kind of frantic, not sure what's going on, fearful, unbelief, real tenuous in his faith, to rest. And man, there's a great scripture at the very end of this thing that I think you guys are going to really dig. One word I also want you to guys, uh, well, you know what, let's just get into chapter 1. I'm sorry, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Bimelech, king of the Philistines, and Gerar. Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I'll be with you, and I'll bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I spoke to, swore to your father, Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, Give them all these lands. Through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed. Remember that one. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commandments, my decrees, my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Again, I told you, Isaac's walking in Abraham's footsteps. We see Abraham in a famine. We see Isaac in a famine. We see Isaac and Abraham having some kind of interaction with this Abimelech in Gerar. Two different Abimelechs. Commentaries will tell you that the Abimelech might be just like the title, like he's a mayor or something like that. So we know it's not a name. We know it's not the the same Abimelech. God's reiteration here. God retells to Isaac to reconfirm to him, you are the heir. The promises I gave to your father are going to come true in your own life. And then I mentioned to you guys, keep a hold of that word confirm. I, I think this is very powerful. We're going to see throughout 26... God's confirmation to Isaac of the promises. And when I say confirmation, I mean action. Okay? He's made these verbal promises to Isaac, but because, for whatever reason, other than God's mercy, he's going to show him confirmationally in action. Here's, the, here's, the, here, here's how the promises of these things have been acted out. And then again, the other one I asked you to pay attention to is other nations blessed, because there's a zinger coming up on that one. Okay, again, pretty, uh, pretty similar steps. You guys almost remember this from, I think it was 12 or 20. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister, because he was afraid to say she's my wife. He thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she's beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window, saw Isaac kissing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she's my sister? Isaac answered, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this that you have done to us? One of the men might have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, Anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. 
Um, also, I hope I'm not speaking too fast, but I, I really want to be careful of the time. We've got a lot of stuff to go through, so give me a little grace on that. Um, you know, same kind of thing. Initial footsteps acted out in fear and basically unbelief. Here, you know, I'll guarantee you, as you guys are raising families, you're going to instruct your children and say, you know what, I really screwed up when I was 5, 10, 12, 15. Don't do this. Don't lie out of unbelief. Don't lie out of fear. Don't put your wife in jeopardy of adultery. So Isaac's thinking this in the back of, the ma- in the back of his mind. He's like, man, I'm walking in the same path as my dad. And it's unbelief. God's already spoken to him a couple of times. Not only through his dad and his mom, but personally God has spoken to him. Unbelief and fear. You know, uh, in Abraham's uh, time when he, when he did the two times, the two lies to Pharaoh, uh, you know, plagues and all that kind of jazz happened. And then when he did it to Abimelech, God and Abimelech had some conversations via dreams and stuff like that. It was God's intervention. Here, really, it just is noticed that it's just casual observance. He notices that Isaac's doing something inappropriate with Rebekah. Um, and, and, man, grab a hold of this. I, I, Abimelech, a Philistine, an unbeliever, recognizes and says to Isaac, What have you done to us? Don't you realize that one sin could have corrupted our nation. One sin. Here's this guy's an unbeliever and he recognizes that. You know, as we pray for President Obama, as we pray for Dave Bing, let's pray that they realize pornography on the Internet. We can shut it down. We don't have to have this First Amendment jazz, okay? It's killing the nation. You and I know that it's killing Detroit. The sin of individuals, our selfishness, and all the things that we do, all self-centered, that's why Detroit's where it's at. But you know what's the flip side of that? Hallelujah. Your righteousness is going to be a beacon in this community. When your car gets stolen, you say, thank you, Jesus. Somehow, Romans 8.28 is going to work through this thing, and I bless you, Lord. I don't get offended at you when you don't greet me in the hall or when there's racial frustration. Our righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, but the choice of righteousness we act out on is going to bring revival and life to Detroit. Now, you and I both know, might not be in our lifetime, but we're, we're going to give it all we've got. So that in eternity, we can stand before Christ and say, man, I walked. And I, and I don't remember, I asked Adriana, but there's somebody in here who passes out an email. At the very bottom of it is a little quote by Mother Teresa. And it says something to the effect of, you know, uh, love. Why do we think that love has to be extraordinary? What we need is love that doesn't get tired. Man, Mac group, Mac people, family, don't get tired. You guys are doing a great job. Keep walking one day at a time. Keep walking. Your righteousness is going to start to shine. People are going to see it. All these little beachheads all over the place. The community of Detroit can and will be changed. 48214 can and will be changed. Hallelujah. Oh, and how ironic is this? Okay, God says to to Isaac, you know, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to watch over you. Um, And here, Isaac sins, okay, unbelief, giving his wife away, puts a nation at risk. 
And what does God do? God flips the whole thing around and Abimelech says, hey, anybody who touches him, you're going to get killed. So the thing that he feared through his sin, God mercifully, covenantally, brought as protection to him from a heathen king. Does that make sense? Did I say that right? Did you guys get that? Okay, give me a little, give me a little help here. Do we need to talk about anything else? All right, I went ahead. Okay, verse 12. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, Philistines stood up, filling them with earth. Does anyone else sense something odd about this transition from 11 to 12? I'm going to show you something. I think it's pretty wild. Okay, I'm going to do a little ad-libbing here. Verse 9. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She's really your wife? Why did you say to me she's my sister? Isaac says, well, man, I I thought I might lose my life on account of her. What is this that you have done to us? One of the men might have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon all of us. Anyone who harms this man, his wife will surely be put to death. Now, Abimelech was ticked. He was angry. I don't believe he just brought him in and said, well, you know, Isaac, come on. Okay? He is absolutely frustrated with Isaac. And then we go to... But Isaac planted crops in the land in the same year, reaped a hundredfold, because the Lord blessed him. What happened here? You know, I'm saying, Lord, maybe Ishmael would have been the better choice. Or you're saying, you know, hey, you've got to reiterate this... Uh, uh, these promises and say, well, you know what? A couple of your descendants aren't going to quite be as blessed, okay? Or at least be, you know, Isaac should have gone at least before a review board. But he doesn't. Why? What's the narrative? God is sovereign. God chose Isaac. What's the other part? What is God if he's nothing else? He's merciful. He's merciful to you and I because he formed a covenant when you and I were wicked sinners through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, and through Old Testament stuff, but through the blood of His Son, He was merciful. That's what happened. You go from Abimelech ready to take his head off. You know, I'm kind of beefing this up a little bit, but you know Abimelech is ticked, and then all of a sudden, Abraham goes, plants his crops, hundredfold return. He goes from liar to lottery winner because of God's covenantal mercy and sovereignty. How cool is that? How cool is that? Uh, All righty. Okay. We're going to do a little time out on the Old Testament. We're going to jump over to New Testament for a sec. If you guys want, we're going to read some stuff real quick. and I'm going to read it out loud in in Romans 5. A little bit of stuff in... uh, in Hebrews. Chapter 4 has got the famous verse where it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him or accounted to him as righteousness. 
Then we're going into chapter 5, and it's talking about Christ. Now, I am not pulling these scriptures out of context. I am going to pull them out to make a point. The point fits here, so please bear with me on that. Verse 8, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more? How much more is Christ a better sacrifice? Can somebody read the verse 10? Thank you. 15, but the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one, how much more? And then you go down in in 17, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more? Four times in one chapter, we've got how much more? Why do you repeat stuff? So we get it. Why do you repeat stuff? Because it's important. Why in the Old Testament we say, holy, holy, holy? Why don't we just say, holy God? We say, holy, 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 because God is trying to wake us up and say, do you guys realize the enormity of this whole thing? Do we realize the enormity of how much more? How much more what? How much more of a better sacrifice was Jesus Christ and our covenant with Him than Isaac in the Old Testament? That's what this is saying. Look at the book of Hebrews. What's the whole book of Hebrews about? Comparing Jesus to a whole bunch of Old Testament stuff. Every time Jesus comes out way ahead. One sacrifice, not yearly, could barely cleanse our consciences. One sacrifice so that we are free in Christ. Okay, let me read one more. Hebrews 4.1, if you guys want to join me. Hebrews 4.1, we're going to read a couple verses. Therefore, since the promise of entering rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you should be found short, having fallen short of it. For we also had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Isaac heard a whole bunch of promises. I mean, from God's mouth, from his father's mouth, from Sarah's mouth. A couple of times. For whatever reason, he didn't mix faith. But the the commentaries on 26 are going to tell us, have told us, we're seeing a transition of Isaac here. That man is is just, yeah, very cool. Um, In in, in the King James Version of the same thing, of of, of verses uh, 4, 1, it says, Let us fear, lest a promise of entering his rest, any of you should come short of it. Not mixing faith with what you heard. We're to fear that. Rest is something for us to be enjoyed. We're supposed to, you know, in some measure, kick back. You know, I was thinking about this. You know, Leon, Eric, and Eric, they've got the burden of Macav on their shoulders. But you know what? They really don't. It's on Christ's shoulders. It's at the cross. Now, there's administrative and all this other jazz because they love us and they need to take care of us. But the reality is, you know what? 
I hope they're resting in the, in the salvation that Christ brought. I mean, the thing's done. The covenant's done. That's why Isaac, after all of his blunders, Abraham, after all of his blunders, hundredfold return, liar to lottery winner. One other thing um, to, to finish up this chapter. Um, I don't remember if it's John Calvin or uh, Martin Luther. Um, one of you guys would probably tell me. One of those guys said that we, as humans, are idol factories. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that before. We'll make anything an idol. We'll make our wife, we'll make our job, we'll make my clothes, we'll make our status, 401k, my service at MacAv. Any of that jazz. We make those things idols. And I propose to you that throughout Scripture, we're going to see this very same principle happening time and time and time again. We see Isaac, and again, think backwards a little bit with me. You know, I'm sure Isaac's uh, uh, father Abraham and Sarah told him all the stories. Man, Lord promised we had to wait 25 years. You come. Man, we tried it on our own. Didn't work. And then think about what's going on in Isaac's mind when God takes him up to Mount Moriah. He's got the wood on his back. He's got the fire. Abraham's ready to plunge this thing. What happens? God covenantally produces a substitute. Now, how would you like to have been sitting on the sidelines of that one and see that whole thing transpire? Isaac, or Abraham's quaking in his boots, acting in faith, going to kill your own son and God provides a substitute so again remember Isaac knows all this stuff he remembers this I'll guarantee you dad taught and taught and taught this stuff to him plus he's got a remembrance of it whole point of that excuse me the whole point of that idea was throughout scripture David and Bathsheba and killing Bathsheba's uh, husband Peter's denials, Peter's walking on water, sink. oh, wow. We see the fallibility of man, because if not, we'd have Peter on a surfboard, on a little idol, on stage, because he walked on water if he hadn't fallen. What's this whole thing about? It's about the covenant. It's about God's mercy. It's not about us. It's about God, God being glorified and honored in our lives. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us, you become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar where he had settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley, discovered a well of fresh water there, but the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, The water's ours. He named the well Isaac because they disputed with him, moved on. Then he dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sitna, moved on from there, dug another well. No one quarreled over this one. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. I contend to you that the very conflict obstacle became the vehicle God used as confirmation 
And He does it in your life, your and my life every day. Isaac lies, puts his wife out, almost goofs up a nation. Now here, goes out to get water for his family, for his herd, for all of his crops, runs into a problem. Bam! Okay, I'm going to move on. Runs into another problem. Bam! Very reminiscent of Abraham and Lot in idea. Abraham and Lot, too many people, they're walking side by side. Lot says, hey man, this ain't going to work. We, we, we need to split up. So what does Abraham do? The man of faith, having come to that position, he says, Lot, Lord's going to take care of me. You go where you want, take the best. I'm fine. I'm, I'm the covenant heir. God's going to watch over me. I trust in his mercy. Same thing's happening here. Isaac butts heads with the Philistines, tries to undig the wells. He moves on, he moves on, he moves on. He gives way, and this is where the commentators are telling you he's transitioning into really comprehending the covenant. He's, he's beginning to walk by faith. I will trust you, Lord. I'm going to move to the next well. I'm going to move to the next well. I'm going to move to the next well. And I'm telling you, an epiphany is coming that we're going to see. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I'm the God of your father Abraham, for do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you, and I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. And if you guys will forgive me, there was something that I forgot that I really wanted to bring about. I really, really, now this might be Christianity 101, but I'm telling you what, we need to bury this thing in our soul. The two songs we sang, that Nick, what are, the, what are the names? Okay, it is well with my soul. Do you guys know about that? The guy's whole entire family dies, and he writes this song. And what was the first one, though? Your love never fails. Isn't that what we're, we're talking about here? Isn't that the narrative of Scripture? So I say all that to say, all of the drama, all of the baggage that MacAv's going through, that you guys are going through personally-wise, I'm not naive to think that every one of them is going to turn out all happy. Some of them are going to turn out nasty. We're not going to know the answer till we get to eternity. Plain and simple. Some of them are just plain nasty. And we're going to have acid full of stomachs like I've had for the last three weeks over our house issue. But I keep coming back and clinging to the rock that is higher than I. I petition you, continue to walk through the conflicts that you guys are walking through, looking unto the author and finisher of your faith. He's only going to give the enemy so much leeway, and he's going to snap his neck right back off. And he's going to bring you guys to the point that Isaac is, where all of a sudden you're going to say, man, I can rest assured that eternity is mine even if I'm fearful and frustrated now, even as my car gets stolen. And you guys are, you know, much further down the road than I am. Betty and I are just moving into this, but, you know, I've, I've had pain and sorrow in my life, and I can tell you that. One cool thing, just side note here, um, our two kids, we've got two kids, grown and, and gone. Uh, firstborn Martha, um, when she was born, my father got to hold her for one time, and he died a month later. Uh, two years later, we have my son James. Betty's father holds him one time. Months later, dies. So one, we quit having kids. But the point of all this is, 
when Betty's father passed away, she got a small stipend, and she said, you know what, I want to do something to remember my father. So she went to the jewelry store, and she's got this very cool um, what do you call it? charm bracelet. It's got about 25 charms on it. And virtually every charm on this is a conflict that either Betty went through, we went through, our kids went through, and there's a scripture reference in God's answer. Every once in a while when she's bummed out, she says, you know what, today's the day for the charm bracelet. And you should hear this thing. I mean, it's like she's got a whole thing of bells on her. (laughs) But it's a reminder. It's a remembrance. God is faithful. He's the author and finisher. He's going to take your conflict and He's going to resolve it one way or another, whether it's eternity or here. We need to keep walking. We need to not grow tired in our love. All right, so let's go back to where we were. Ah, You know what? One more time. Okay, notice the last line. Okay, they quarreled, they quarreled, they quarreled. He's at the end of this journey after, you know, Bimelech telling him to get out of here, all this conflict. More conflicted with the Philistines. They're saying, man, get your herds out of here. You know, no more water. All of a sudden, now the Lord has given us room and we're going to flourish in the land. Cool. We're home. Settle down. Man, park the tent. Let the kids get out and play. But what happens? From there, he went up to Beersheba. And if I understood my map correctly, it's a number of kilometers away. So what happened here? Here to me, I'm very convinced Isaac had his epiphany. Do you guys know what Beersheba is? Do you guys know the first place that his dad and his servants and Isaac went after the substitutionary lamb sacrifice on Mount Moriah? They went to Beersheba. Isaac went back to where the culmination of that whole thing happened when Isaac saw the faithfulness of God in providing a substitute lamb. He went back to you know, his father's homeland, per se, He went back because it was the end of his struggle. He just walked through this whole thing. He sees God give him in his first year a hundredfold return. So he goes back to the remembrances of his father. And then the uh, the commentators bring something out that, man, is just cool. That night, the night that he got into Beersheba, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And look at the order of what happens here. When you're in the desert, you got wife and kids and donkeys and whatever else they had animal-wise looking to plant crops. What's the first thing you do when you're trying to find a place? You dig a well. What's the first thing he does here? He builds an altar. That's why I say this was at Epiphany. He said, man, Lord, I'm not worried about water. I'm not worried about my tent. You have answered me, and you've brought me to a place of rest in the covenant. You have confirmed the promises of the covenant to me. And he gets on his knees, and he worships God. He remembers back when Abraham's ready to plunge substitutionary lamb. He remembers that it took 25 years for him to get on the scene. He remembers the whole Ishmael, Hagar, all of that. Can you imagine what happened in that family? All the... Wow! He's remembering that 
And he sees God's answer to this whole thing even after he lied. And then he doesn't even dig a well. He sets up his home says, hey, babes, we're here. And then he digs the well. What does Matthew 6.33 say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto him. He might not have known Matthew 6.33, but he knew Matthew 6.33. My God's going to supply my needs. I can dig the well last. Built an altar, worship the Lord. Then we'll set up the tent. Then we'll dig a well. Okay, I, I, asked, uh, I asked Eric if it was okay if I did this, and he said, yeah. So um, if you guys can, man, hold on to that whole idea, okay? But we're going we're gonna to branch off. We're going to do a little gig, okay? End of 25 is the last thing he said. Esau despises his birthright. We're going to skip the treaty, sorry. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Bar- Barry the Hittite, also Basemith, daughter of Elon the Hittite, they were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. He disses his parents again. He cause, you know, throws off the whole birthright thing. I mean, twice. I mean, how, how sad is that? Now, what I want to tell you guys real quickly about this, that I just, man, this thing just has been mulling over and mulling over and mulling over in my mind. I talked to Jared two months ago, and he tells me about his parents. His parents, dad's a dentist. They bought an RV. They made this thing into a dental lab, and they drive around the city on the weekends giving free dental care to the poor. What a heritage Jared has of godly Christian parents. He better not despise that. And not only better he not despise that, he needs to build on that for if the Lord gives them children, he needs to compound that baby on top of their kids' heads, you know, allegorithmically. He's got a great heritage. Now, him and Rachel are going to build their own, but they're standing on the shoulders of their parents, and then their kids, if they have them, get to stand on theirs. Man, that is cool. Now, what's the flip side of that for those of us who did not have a family heritage of Christianity? My dad died an alcoholic when I was nine. He stepped out of the eighth-story window at Oakwood Hospital when I'm nine years old. I didn't have a Christian heritage. But guess what? I got born again and I got one. I got a new heritage. So for those of you who don't have, you know, parents who taught you right, guess what? If you're born again, you got a new birthright. And, and, and who is it? Who's your father? Who's your brother? The king of the universe. The son of God. We are in covenant community with him. We have been born again of incorruptible seed. You got a new birthright. Don't despise it. Build on it for yourself, for Detroit, for Michigan. And for your kids, for your wife. Now, if you're here, you're new here, been here going here a while, if you don't know what we're talking about when we're talking about the blood of Jesus and birthright and being born again and being regenerated, 
the Scripture says real clearly, man, today don't harden your hearts. If you hear the Word of God, you need to respond. And um, whether you come up front now, love to have you come down and talk to you. Or later, you got plenty of pastors, we'd ask that you guys come down. Talk to one of the pastors about the whole thing that we're discussing here. Why people in here are excited. Why people want to move into Detroit. They're excited about this kind of stuff. So please uh, take the time to do that. You know what? We're going to take tithe now, tithe and offering. So who's ever got the... You guys have come down. Now, we'd ask you again, if you're new here, if you're visiting, please hold on to your wallets. We don't need your money. We need your friendship. We need your relationships. That's why MacAv is here. Okay? Be our guest. But if you're a believer, we would ask that you participate in tithes and offerings. Give back to the Lord that which is His. Yep, yep, yep. Um, if you filled out a yellow kind of like connect card with your name and information, email, phone number, um, and if there's something on there specifically we can pray with you about or your questions you have, would you please put those in the offering bags? Uh, that way we'll have a record of, of you coming here and somebody's going to give, uh, give you a contact call. Uh, you know, we're not going to hound you, but we want to know that, you know, you're loved and we're here to, you know, talk to you and, and help you walk through whatever path it is that you're on.